Happy Father's Day, everybody. It's um, it's a uh, special it's a special day of the year, right? Where we um, where we I don't know what we do on Father's Day. I know we make a huge deal out of Mother's Day, and sometimes sometimes um, sometimes I think we might as well just you know just give us the give us the meat or the you know, uh, I don't know, breakfast in bed and the fathers will be okay with that, you know. Um, we, we like to make, I like to, I think it's more important that we make a bigger deal out of Mother's <clears throat> Day than Father's Day. Um, but this Father's Day, I want us to look at a passage in, in the Bible, um, as we do every week. And uh, so if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So you can find that in your Bibles or your devices. Um, you can find it in the back of the Pew Bible. First um, John is one of the three letters that's credited to the Apostle John. And it's near the end of the New Testament. You'll have Revelation at the end. And then before that is Jude. And then before that is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So you'll find it right there. Um, it's a very powerful letter that John wrote um, to challenge Christians to be true to their faith in Jesus, both by what they believed and also by the way they lived, namely by rejecting the world's way of living and pursuing God's design for their lives. It's a beautiful letter and so powerful. There's so many great passages in, in here, but I want us to look at... Uh, 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. Um, these verses right here are a, a wonderful reminder that because the Father loves us, we must live as His children. It makes sense. The Father loves us. He's our Heavenly Father. And so we ought to live like His children. So, follow along with me. As I read this aloud. 1 John 3 verses 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us. Is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, again, we, we come before you in prayer, recognizing that in ourselves, um, God, we, we do not have the understanding that we need. We do not have the power and the strength or the ability that we need to live according to your ways, to live by your design for our lives. So we come to you in humility, asking for you to show us the way. Reveal to us your will. God, use your Holy Spirit in us to give us understanding to give us insight into this word and this message to us, God, and to also give us power 
that we can walk out of here in your strength to do what it is you've called us to do. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The last words I heard when I walked out the door of my house was, remember who you belong to. Every time, it didn't matter where I was going, didn't matter what I was doing, those were the words that I always heard. My, my parents wanted me to remember that they loved me and that I was their child. I belonged to them and I needed to remember that. But more than that, they also, their words were also a reminder that I was a child of God and that I should live like one when I walked out that door. Powerful statement, I will remember it always and occasionally I will say that to my own daughters. They've heard it before. Not very, I don't say it too often, but every once in a while I'll say it to them too to remind them of who they are. The Apostle John had the same interest as he was writing to these Christians. They were struggling to be true to Jesus. They, were, they believed in him. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to do what God wanted them to do. But the world around them was offering instead an alternative, a compelling alternative to pursuing God and to pursuing God's design for their lives. The world said stuff like this, be true to yourself. Fulfill your own destiny. Or liberate yourself. Be free. You're free. You can do whatever you want. Or create your own identity. Create your own identity. Don't, don't we hear the same kinds of things today? I mean, really, that's what the, that's what the people in John's time were hearing. And we're here, we hear the same stuff today, every day. Whether it's um, television, movies, advertising. Boy, if you want to hear about, if you, you want to hear a message of it's all about you and it's all about yourself and it's all about what you make your life to be, just listen to or look at advertising that's out there. We, hear it, we read it in books. We read it in magazines. And you probably hear it in a lot of personal conversations too. But... What we need to hear, though, instead of that message, which we're constantly being bombarded with, we need to hear the message that John has for us, that here in these, in these passages, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, we need to remember that, or be reminded of this one important, very important foundational truth from God's story, that God loves, that God loves, that he, and not just in a general sense like he loves the world that he created and we just kind of happen to be in here and sometimes maybe he, he may overlook us occasionally so we have to kind of wave our arms. Maybe we have to do a lot of important things. So God, recognize me. Look at me. Here I am. Love me. Love me. No. He loves particularly. He loves us. He chooses us he loves us like a father, not just any father, a perfect father. So much so that he sent his son. That we too could become his children. And that's what he wants for us. That's the kind of love the father has. Not, not the kind of uh, the, the, the shallow, empty identity that the world tells us to pursue. 
Because the Father loves us, we can have a true identity with Him as children of God. That's what, that's what the Apostle John wants us to know here. That's what we're going to look at today. That because the Father loves, we must live as His children. But what does it mean to live as His children? I think first of all, because the Father loves, we must marvel at His love. And that's what, that's what John is trying to say. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Don't overlook the word see. He's saying, look at this. This word in, in, in the Greek language is sometimes translated in other parts of the New Testament as behold, which is good. Or in the, old English, the, the older version of the, uh, like you might find this in the King James Version, lo, <laughs> lo, behold, see, look at this, check this out, this is important, be amazed at this, marvel at this is what he's saying. The love the Father has given to us. The, the, word, the way that this is phrased, um, has given to us, means that it's, it's a permanent gift. It's not, it's not, his love is not alone. It's not, here, you know, play with this for a while, and then I want it back. It's a permanent gift. It's given to us, and we will, we will have it continually. That's what, that's, that, that tells us that, his love that makes us children is a permanent adoption. That it's a permanent identity. We are, we, what, is, what is cool about this is that we may get hung up here. And I, I could see somebody getting hung up here. John says that we should be called children of God. Well, does that mean that he just calls us children of God? Is it just a metaphor is it just kind of a nebulous spiritual truth that, that you know, make, maybe make us feel good? Um, is it something like that? No. It's, uh, he says right after that, he says, and we are, and so we are. It's not that he calls us children of God. It's not a nickname. It's not, it's not a let's, let's play house. I'll be the father, you be the kids. And after we have our little meeting in the church, you can go away and go back to your other life and your other identity. No. We are His children. That is who we are. If we are in Christ, we are His children everywhere, everywhere we go. And whatever we do. The world, though, doesn't treat us like that. God loves us. He shows His love for us and calls us children of God and makes us so. But the world doesn't understand. They, it's, he says, the world does not know us. We're misunderstood. Maybe sometimes rejected, sometimes persecuted because we're not like the rest of the world. And the world says, you need to be more like us. You're not one of us. So they don't know us. They may even claim to know God. They may even say, well, we follow Jesus. Well, we have the true way. The true way. But they're going to put us down for pursuing God's design for our lives. That's what was happening to the people of John's day. In John's day, the world we saw, all, well, we see it throughout 
1 John 1, 2, and, and, and then leading right into to verse 3, that the world um, is, is like this, saying that they have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. Um, lying and not practicing the truth. Saying, we have no sin. There's nothing wrong with us. We're okay. Deceiving their, themselves. Because the truth of God wasn't in them. Those are just some examples. If you read through the rest of this letter, you'll see John's full of, of statements describing the world and the people in the world. They rejected Jesus too and they did not know Him. They, they didn't pursue God's design for their lives. That would be a, be a way I would put it. Um, in all of those other ways. We must marvel and John invites us to marvel at His love. To reflect on it. To think about it. Because the Father loves us with a love that we don't deserve. A love that we don't deserve. When I was um, probably about, I don't know, I might have been nine or ten years old, um, we had at our church a world hunger event. The goal of this, this event was to raise money that we could then kind of, uh, that we could pull together and give to um, charities that were going to help feed people around the world. And in doing so, we wanted, we wanted, our church wanted people to really get a good grasp on what, what it is like to be people living in uh, different parts of the world. You know, some, in some parts of the world, and this is probably the case with a lot of us, um, there's usually no shortage of food. And we can get food pretty easily. You know, we may not have all of our bills paid all the time, but you know, we're not going hungry on a day-to-day-to-day basis. Others are living in a place where they, they, they eat every day, maybe, but it, maybe it's just one meal, or maybe it's pretty simple. And other, other people um, are living in a, in a situation where they have nothing, absolutely nothing. And they, they have no hope of anything. So that was the context of this event. I came to this event thinking, this will be fun. The whole family's going. We're going to our church fellowship hall, and we're going to have this meal, and it's going to be great. And so I walked in like everybody else, and I was given a little colored slip of paper. And then we got in there, we kind of sat around, and then we were told, okay, so here's what you're supposed to do. Here's where you're supposed to go now that you have this colored slip of paper. So those of you with... I don't remember what color it was. Red, um, you're going to sit at this table here. And those of you with the color blue, you're going to sit over in this table here. And those of you with the color, anyway, maybe three or four colors. And then they said, those of you with the color black, and I looked down and I thought, huh, this is not looking too good here. I've got the, this black slip of paper, so where am I supposed to go? And they said, those of you with the color black, you get to sit over in that corner. What, no tables? No chairs? No, we just, got to, we just sat on the floor and we waited. And then they began serving. And they served the one table and they had a full meal and the dinner rolls were coming and the spaghetti or whatever it was. And, and then another table, 
you know, they were getting, well, they, they only had like one simple plate, but it was a few items. And then another group had little bowls of rice, and I was in the group that didn't have anything. And I thought, wow, this really sucks. <laughs> and in fact, I had never experienced that before in my life. And there are all these other people around me enjoying plenty. And I was sitting there with nothing. And I had got to admit that, um, that it affected me emotionally. And until sitting there, rejected, feeling misunderstood maybe, feeling like I wasn't loved, somebody came up to me and brought me a plate from their table. And then another person brought me a little something. And before I knew it, I had more food than I knew what to do with. That's, that's what God's love is like. We are nothing. We have nothing. We are maybe misunderstood. We are outcasts, possibly rejected, persecuted. But in that situation, we must remember that we're a child of God. And marvel at his love. Marvel at the grace that he gives us. Even though we don't really deserve it. We did nothing to deserve his, his love. But the Father loves us anyway. The Father loves us anyway. How else? How else should we live as children of God? Well, because the Father loves us, we must long for His coming. Long for His coming. That's what, that's what John says next. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We are living right now between the now and the not yet. The truth of who we are, but the unfulfilled longing of our hearts. We, every day, we live... And we go through life uh, thinking, I think I know who I am, but I'm longing for something more. I'm longing for something to fulfill me. The, that impulse, that longing, that desire is put there by God so that it can be fulfilled in Him. Fulfilled in Him. We are God's children now. That's a present reality with everything that it implies. We have a Heavenly Father. We are loved. Even when we don't feel like it. Because we're waiting to see Him face to face. We are not yet what we will be. We're not yet what we will be. I, I, John here is, I think, very, very insightful. And I think, very honest. Because he says, I don't know what it's going to really be like. What we will be has not yet appeared. We're not sure exactly how it's going to look. But we do know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. How can he have that kind of confidence? Because Jesus promised. Jesus promised. He fulfilled all of his promises. He did everything he did faithfully, truly. He was the way, truth, and life. And he promised to return, to set things right, to fulfill his ultimate purposes for us. 
And so John's hope is set in that. And he says, I don't know exactly when it will be. I don't know exactly what it will look like. But we will see him. And therefore, we will be like him. Somehow, I think you could probably call this one of the mysteries or the unknowns or the paradoxes of, of the New Testament, of the Bible. That's pretty awesome. But that was the hope. We live between the now and the not yet. Even when we don't feel like we belong to him. Even though we don't feel like his children. Because we're not present with him. When I, when I was in Iraq, um, this is not a war story, but when I was in Iraq, um, uh, I got a lot of cards and drawings and all kinds of stuff like that from my girls. Um, in fact, as I was thinking about this message, I um, pulled out one of my old bins and I and I uh, rifled through some of those old drawings to remember that separation um, that I had as a father from my children. That I was over there in, in the Iraq, and my girls and my wife were home just kind of holding down the fort, trying to do what they do. And um, I remember while I was there, looking up at a couple of the pictures. I mean, all I had pictures from all the girls and... Maddie was really young at the time. I, uh, hers were, were very colorful scribbles. I'm pretty sure that was, they were supposed to represent me and her holding hands, playing and, you know, running and skipping and jumping. But one thing that I noticed, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dime out one of my girls, and I didn't ask permission to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. But, the, the, um, but Isabella wrote something on her cards Every time that she sent something, and it was really unique. I mean, all the girls were, were doing some really cool things, but the way Isabella wrote her cards was very interesting to me. In fact, um, in one card that she wrote right before I left, said, don't leave daddy, please. <clears throat> um, I took that one with me, and that was hanging up in my trailer. Um, and I won't read it all to you, you know, about don't leave, we're going to miss you, we want you to stay here, we love you very much, and oh, by the way, you're the best daddy in the world. So, I, okay, well, maybe I'll tell the army I can't go, because I'm the best daddy in the world. And, <clears throat> and she signed it, sincerely, <laughs> your daughter, Bella. And then a couple more cards came along later. And what did she say? To the best dad ever. This might have been a Father's Day card. Your daughter, Isabella. And every one of her cards, she signed, Your daughter. And I thought about that. Why did she write your daughter? She didn't have to write that. I, she knew, you know, she, she's my daughter. She knew I knew she was her daughter. I didn't need to be reminded of that. I didn't need to be reminded of that. But in that absence, in that between the now of, I know I have a daddy, and the not yet of, I'm not sure exactly, I can't really as an eight-year-old girl 
you know, figure out this timing. When is he going to come home? What's that going to be like? In between that now and the not yet of being with her father, she wanted to remember, I am her daughter. Is that right? I am her daughter. That was what she was saying. Yeah. yeah his daughter. <laughs> Something like that. It didn't really feel like she had a daddy while I was gone. That was what all my girls went through. They were like, well, we know we have a daddy, but we don't see him every day, and we're not sure when he's going to get back. But she needed that reminder. She needed that reminder of who she was, that she was a daughter, that she had a daddy. When you are stuck in that situation in life, between the now and the not yet. You're wondering, when is the present circumstance going to be over? When are we going to get out of this? Maybe one way of looking at it is like the waiting room of life. That you're waiting and waiting. And you're wondering when these, this situation is going to finally go away. Remember. Remember Jesus' promise that he will return and long for his coming. It's okay to think about that. It's okay to desire that and to imagine it and to, and to create works of art about it or to sing about his coming and his returning. The day that he will fulfill his ultimate purposes for you when father and child will be reunited again. And you'll say, I do have a daddy. I do have a father. It's okay. Long for his coming. Well, there's one other way that we must live as his children. And that is that because the father loves, we must follow his example. We must follow his example. John wrote this letter uh, for several reasons. And he phrases it differently throughout. But it's very interesting that he, write, he, he wrote in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children. He was reminding us and his readers that we're children. Not just that we belong to John, but that we belong to God the Father. And he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So that you may not sin. John's purpose in writing this and telling us this about the love of the Father and about how we must live as his children is so that we don't sin. So that we don't, that, that sin doesn't have, have control over our lives anymore. So that we recognize that our identity is in our relationship with God the Father. It's not in our old self. So that's why he says everyone who thus hopes in him. He's reminded us that our hope, that if we hope in him, that we hope in that coming, that we hope in that time when we will experience the not yet, then we should do something about it now. That it should affect the way we live right now. Our lives are preparation, in fact, for the moment 
that we enter eternity and we, we see God face to face. Therefore, we should reject sinful habits and patterns. That's what it means by purifies himself. He purifies himself. Not that we're able to make ourselves um, morally upright or that we, have, we can do something to earn God's favor or to make ourselves sinless by our own actions. No, because he says pr prior to this um, in chapter 1, he says that Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he says that Jesus is the propitiation, big word, a sacrifice, a sacrifice of atonement, a sacrifice that removes our sin away from us. Um, he is the propitiation for our sins. It's Jesus who does the dying for us. It's Jesus that removes our sin. But we have an active role in living out our lives. So when he says purifies himself, he's not saying get yourself to some sinless perfection like Jesus so that you'll be loved by God. So that you'll be a true child of God. No. He's actually saying, walk in the light. Do good. Obey his commandments. Do the Father's will. That's what he means when he says, purify himself. And, and, and to help us out, I'm going I'm to go back a little bit further. But we may be wondering, well, haven't you been telling us that we're powerless, that we, we can't save ourselves, that we can't, we can't do right? Yes. But, but John doesn't leave us there. In fact, prior to this, leading up to this, he said to them, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of who you are. Who's the Holy One? Who is the Holy One that we've been anointed by? It's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We have been given power to fight sin. We've been given power to, to live according to God's design for our lives. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and check this out. We, we access this power by abiding in Him. Ver, chapter 2, verse 27. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught, just as it, he, or the Holy Spirit, has taught you, abide in Him. How do we do that? Abide in Him. This is one of John's favorite phrases. He loves this word, abide. It means to like live with or to set up a tent or set up your, your life in, live in this thing, in this area or this in this person? How do we abide in him? Chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Oh, for most of my life, I've, I've wondered about this abiding thing. And there it is, right there. If we want to abide in him, and if we want to have access to that power by the Holy Spirit to live God's design for our lives, 
We do it by doing God's will. It's pretty simple. We do it by doing God's will. And if we're uncertain about what God's will is for our lives, we go to God's revealed word, the Bible. <laughs> the reason we don't go to the Bible more often and read it <clears throat> is probably because we don't like what it says and we don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> we want to do our own thing. So we don't have a high motivation to read God's word because we don't really want to do what it says. We don't want to be confronted with our sins. And we don't want to change the way we are. But in God's word, we find God's will for our lives. And if God loves us in such a great way, wouldn't we want to find out what this loving, awesome, great, and glorious God would have us to do with our lives? And in God's word, Jesus is revealed. Jesus is revealed. And that's why he says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The word in the Greek here, this word that is translated he, is kind of an unusual word. And I looked at it and I thought, how in the world does he, do we get the word he out of that? Because it's more of like, the word more like means that one. And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird way of talking about Jesus, that one. But John uses that throughout his letter. He uses that in, very interesting pronoun, and it stands for Jesus. He stands for that one, that one with a capital O, the one, Jesus. Jesus is pure. Jesus is, in verse or chapter 2, verse 29, righteous. He is righteous. Jesus is the example for our lives. Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled God's design for his own life. He perfectly obeyed God. And through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually follow his example and live as his children. I would be remiss if I didn't take Father's Day to acknowledge my own father and acknowledge the example that he has been in my own life. Um, my dad's example is, um, I don't remember a night that went by that, that he didn't read to us from the Bible, um, that we did family devotions every night together as a, as a kid. Um, he's the one that introduced um, a lot of really great um, stories into our lives. He's the one who read us um, the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I love talking. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys need to read those books. Um, he would read those books to us. We would do family devotions. He he showed. He demonstrated how to to love his wife. He loved my mom. Um, we had fun together. I, I gosh, I remember when one time I don't know what was going on. But I think my, my parents were working on their budget. And they, you, they used to talk about the spending money as being the funny money. And I, I, re, I think they were talking about that because I think I remember my dad going up and down the hall just cracking up, talking about funny money. And, and, and I was like, wow, my dad's really awesome. Like, he's, he's, just, he's just fun and he likes to laugh and... and I remember that example. I remember that weird story. 
Um, I remember how he apologized when he was wrong. I remember how when he, when he didn't act the way he probably should have acted, when he lost his temper or something like that, he would say, he would come to us and he'd apologize. I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. He was a preacher, pastor. He read a lot. I, I try to follow his example of that. I try to read good books. Um, he was a, a aspiring musician and songwriter and I think I got my music bug from him. My father loved me. And because of that, I wanted to follow his example. I wanted to follow his example. Even though, yes, there were many times that I wanted to do my own thing. And as I grew up, I started doing my own thing and going my own way. But I always remembered that he loved me. And I always remembered his example of being a father, being a husband, being a pastor. When you are tempted to go your own way, to do things your own way, when you're tempted to return to the old habits, the old sinful habits or patterns of your life, when you are feeling pulled into the world's way of living, remember who you belong to. Follow his example of just what Jesus did. Rejecting sin and pursuing God's design for your life. I remember, um, I remember something that happened to a student back when I was in high school. Um, it was homecoming week. And so you know about homecoming week. You got all those activities going on. Um, lots of school spirit type things. Um, and everyone is kind of pumped up for the big game. For, for the, at our school, we had the big football game. And then the dance happened right after. It wasn't some separate night, some formal thing. But we just, it was all in one night. And, um, but for one student... Um, homecoming week was less about school spirit and more about remembering who he belonged to. The challenge for him came when he was bought by a couple of his classmates during the school newspaper staff auction. So the, they were selling people and you could get your, your student for a day to do whatever you wanted them to do. They would be your servant all day. So he expected... He maybe would be made to carry books or maybe to go get them things or, you know, run errands or serve them lunch or, or maybe do something that's slightly embarrassing, you know. But instead of that, they met him that morning at their lockers with this red outfit that said, I love Satan. Of all the things to be asked to do. And he said, hey, guys, what, what's going on? I, I can't wear that. You know. You know I'm a Christian. You're asking me to deny what I believe, to say something false, and parade that around school all day. I can't do that. He said, oh, it's only a joke. Come on, come on. We, we paid for you. You got to do whatever we, we, we tell you to do. We paid money. 
I think it was $20. He said, guys, I just can't do that. I can't go against my convictions. Well, that was a rough day for him. He felt misunderstood. I think he felt a little ridiculed. But he refused to give in to that. It was a simple thing. And maybe you would think, ah, what's the big deal? But he wouldn't do it because he understood who he belonged to. He knew that because the Father loves, he wanted to please God. He wanted to pursue God's design for his life. Because the Father loves, he was willing to live as his child. No matter if it meant putting a friendship in jeopardy or, or maybe breaking the rules of the auction. Maybe the, the, um, the teacher would say, hey, you've got to do this stuff. Or maybe he would lose some cool points with his friends. He remembered that because the father loves, he must live as his child. How about you? Are you marveling at his love? Are you longing for his coming? Are you following his example? But probably more important than that is, have you received the father's love? Let's pray. Father, we love because you first loved us. That is foundational. You loved us. In fact, you loved us so much that you made us your children. You, you demonstrate your love for us in that while we were still sinners, that Christ came and died for us. You loved us that much. We're undeserving of your love. We, we have gone our own way. We have been in rebellion against you. But God, you love us. And because of that, we can be your children. God, you don't leave us in our sins. You don't leave us in our brokenness. You have come to us to fix the problem. You have come to us to save us from ourselves. God, we cannot we cannot go on enough journeys of self-discovery. We cannot redefine our identity enough to be fulfilled and to be satisfied. That's only going to be found through faith in Jesus, through experiencing your love for us. God, I don't know where we are all at in this room. I suspect that majority of us here have put our faith in you. And we just need to be reminded that we belong to you. Day after day, we need to be reminded of that. We need to speak that word to ourselves every single day, multiple times. But there may be others here who have never yet experienced the Father's love. God, I pray that you will today draw them to yourself. Give them a saving 
experience of your love. And because of that, we love you, God. Amen. We are going to go into our time of response. And, and um, every, uh, every Sunday we have this opportunity for you to come forward to respond in whatever way God may be calling you. Um, the, the time at the end of our worship gathering is not just um, kind of a convenient transition out of the space. It really is a significant moment. Um, traditionally, it's a moment for, for, uh, for any of us to be able to come forward and say, I want prayer for something. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place for, for people to come forward and say, I need to be saved. I need to experience the love of the Father that I've never experienced before. It's a place for people to come and say, I want to be obedient in some way. I feel God is calling me to this, calling me to that, making that decision and making it known, making it public. Or, I need to be baptized, um, maybe for the first time. And um, so that's, that's the kind of thing um, that this response time is made for. Um, today, too, while we respond, we're going to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper. Um, the Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the day before he was crucified, put to death for our sins, that he celebrated a, a last meal, a Passover meal, uh, with bread and with, with wine or a cup of juice that we have um, with his disciples. And he gave that meal new significance. He said, this bread is my body that's broken for you. And then he said that to them, to to do this, to partake of that bread, um, whenever you gather together in my name, in remembrance of me. And he said the same thing about the cup. This cup, he said, is my blood that's poured out for you. Drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's what we do. We do this to remind ourselves that we belong to him, that we participate in the body of Christ. And um, so... Would you stand with me? Um, so what we're going to do is give you an opportunity to sing, give you an opportunity to come forward and pray with me if this is a decision that you need to make. And then maybe as a family, um, you won't want to come forward and take the bread and the, and the cup. Um, if there's somebody near you who needs some help, you can bring that and deliver it back to them as well. Um, but let's go ahead and and sing and respond the way you uh, feel led to respond.